0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters podcast, season two, episode 23. Tegan, how are you today?
1: Yeah, it's uh, doing pretty well. I uh, had to spend some time with the family and just to kind of enjoy the holiday season.
0: Yep, it's it's in full rush here. Uh, you know, we talked about a little bit before jumping on, uh, you know, a lot of our campaigns are coming to a close here, and so we got to look forward to filling the calendar back up uh, in the new year with that. Definitely. So uh, today we are back with uh, more Starships of the Galaxy. We did a little bit of an introduction, a little more geared towards the player uh, the last episode, and we're going to switch a little gears towards uh, the DM side of things, talk about running a Starship encounters, how to build those, touch on a little bit features of the Starships, things like that, and just to hopefully give you fellow Dungeon Jedi Masters out there uh, some comfort in running this aspect of the game. As we know, that's definitely one of the big things that I think people struggle with is, is it really is almost its own system here, game system here. So but hopefully once you get into it, you'll see that it's not too bad. Before we get in there, though, announcements on our end, of course, as always, check us out, dungeonjedimasters.com for all of our content, this podcast, YouTube channel, Twitch channels for live plays, Instagram for great content for the game, uh, and of course, our Patreon to help support create this content, host the content, and along with that, you do get some exclusive benefits. We do have a new tier three member, uh, Joseph, shout out to you. Thank you very much. And uh, Joseph and all of our other great Patreons do get access to that exclusive content I mentioned, uh, which with this podcast today uh, is the finale of the Alderon plot point adventure uh, tier three did get a preview of that last week, but that is now open to everyone on tier two and Tegan, tell us a little bit about that and how that wraps up our, our 2021 adventure.
1: Definitely, so this would be kind of the, the thrilling conclusion where Party brings everything they've done over the, the last uh, five adventures together uh, and joins with Prince Zane to, to retake Alderaan. Uh, so some fun things with this one. It's definitely, uh, it could be pretty pretty challenging depending on how your players go about it or how well they done or did on the last missions for them as well. Uh, Cause some of those successes and potential failures could come back to help or harm them as well, uh, depending on what they did during the other adventures. So I uh, think this would be kind of a cool way to tie off and hopefully uh, give your players just a, a fun way to end the campaign and hopefully they'll be successful in liberating Alderaan from the Emperor.
0: Absolutely, yes. Uh, Tegan, you did a, a massive bulk of putting this one together. Props to you. And, and one thing that is great about that is is uh, the attention to detail of bringing in those elements from the other plot points. I think that was our purpose in the beginning is... Uh, now that the campaign is complete, for anyone that's new to the campaign, you can grab that and those middle section, those middle four, you can do them in any order. That's that's the concept here. Um, and then, as Tegan said, depending on if you were successful or not within those, those have an effect here in the finale, which is a great aspect. So check that out if you haven't yet, and uh, let us know how it goes. Let us know you know if your players have succeeded in that campaign um, you know, and how that turned out. We'd love to hear that is everything on our end uh there is a couple new star wars 5e content releases as well uh some force and tech powers and a background tegan tell us about uh the new powers
1: yeah so they got some cool force powers especially the force powers are pretty much about mobility uh so if you wanted to be uh kind of a guardian or sentinel uh, and get some powers that are going to help Get you mobile and do some damage at the same time. Check these out. Cool things, a lot of these are a bonus action too. So you can still do some cool things with your regular action. Uh, Like a couple of them, like agile defense, you can uh, use your bonus action to cast that power, and then use the dodge action as a bonus action, uh, which is a pretty sick uh, ability and especially useful for guardians out there who may be tanking and uh, usually the ones soaking up that damage. This can help you soak a little bit better and still leave you free to throw some Saber Slashes and hopefully get some Force Enhanced Strikes on them. Uh, definitely one of my favorites there. Uh, they also have some uh, the instinctive movement uh, which will enhance your speed uh, give you resistance to falling damage lighter or ignore difficult terrain and uh, give enhance your climb speed as well uh, so it's just a great way and it has like a lot there's a lot more into it there's like six bullet points with this one uh, but it's a sick one especially its first level power and uh, it could be great if you need to really get some speed going uh, it's good for the any force class but especially those uh, uh, the, the the sentinels and guardians who may want to be getting in to position to, to really get off their, their powers of the next saber assault uh, and that's also a bonus action Uh, A couple of the cool ones, and these ones kind of level up as you go, or there's uh, different tiers for it, uh, but there's a Saber Assault, Saber Strike, and Saber Onslaught. Uh, Those are pretty sweet. Uh, They're basically uh, different things you can do to enhance your attacks uh, and kind of make some more attacks as well. Uh, Saber Assault, for instance, uh, basically allow you the first time you take the attack action during your turn, you can simultaneously cast this power to blend it in. Uh, the nice thing with this one is for each hit you do, uh, you, uh, the, that person the target must make a dexterity saving throw or have a new effect applied to it. Uh, and like uh, it kind of levels up for each hit you do. So the first hit, they fail the saving throw, they gain a slow level. The second hit, they can't take reactions and take some extra damage. Then third, hit, they uh, take some more damage and they can't do bonus actions. So I thought that was a pretty sweet one. Uh, and they have different ones with the Saber Strike and Onslaught, so just some cool stuff you can do to blend into your attack action and well to get some extra effects uh, off your, your caster or for your uh, Force user. And highly recommend this for Guardians and Sentinels who may want to use just that regular attack because you can get some more damage off and some more features and still kind of play your role too. Uh, on the flip side, they got some tech powers too. Uh, and the tech powers, uh, these ones are kind of varied. Uh, there's a couple cool ones there that I'll mention though. Uh, dismantle, this is an at willpower. Uh, and this is basically like the opposite of mend. Uh, it's what allows you to break down or tear an unenhanced structure or object that you touch. Uh, that The break can only be up to one foot in any dimension. Uh, also, uh, if you wanted to use this more aggressively than just kind of breaking a wall or breaking uh, some unenhanced gear, uh, you can touch a droid or a construct, uh, so you'd make a melee tech attack against them uh, and on a hit they take uh, 1d6 energy damage. Uh, so it's is kind of a cool one, uh, definitely a good flavor for any of the engineers out there who want to maybe take apart some droids or help uh, cut through a wall uh, the party may need to get through. Uh, Outside of that uh, you get a jump power which allow you to just triple your jump uh, distance until the power ends. Uh, This is a first level power uh, as well as uh, jump jets as well. Uh, This is a bonus action power first level as well uh, which will allow you to rise up to 20 feet uh, times, or 20 feet times your tech casting ability modifier, uh, and you can kind of get some small movement with it as well. Uh, It ends at the end of your turn, though, so uh, you will float gently down, but if you need to get high for some reason in your turn, it's a great way to do it, especially if you're fighting somebody that may have a uh, jetpack or just kind of hit somebody that's higher flying. Uh, and there's some other cool ones there, um, another at will that uh, the last one I'll mention is another at will, which I really liked, which is a warp strike. Uh, as part of the action to cast the power, you can make a melee attack against one creature within your reach. Uh, and then typically, they're on the hit, they'll suffer the normal effects, uh, but you can also teleport to an unoccupied space of your choice within 10 feet. So this can be a good way to hit somebody, but then still disengage and get out of there uh, without them being able to take an opportunity attack against you.
0: Awesome. Yeah, lots of great additions there and plenty that I, you know, you didn't mention, Tegan, so be sure to check out that new release as well on the subreddit and then eventually uh, the Star Wars 5e website. The other piece is a background, the archaeologist background specifically, and uh, as that would imply, this is about those uh, individuals that are looking to, you know, study, investigate uh, remains of of ruins, bones, etc., ancient tombs, things of that sort. So if you're looking for a character of that nature this would be a great background for that uh, skill proficiencies skill proficiencies along with that include investigation lore perception or survival two of those you get surveyors implements or the scavenging kits for your tools proficiencies uh, get gain a language with that and then uh, equipment that comes along with that type of background a uh, little uh, equipment or a uh, signature item that you get with that. uh, You can roll for that, uh, including like a hat, hammer, uh, medallion, shovel, things like that. Uh, The main feature of the background, historical knowledge. When you enter a ruin or dungeon, you can correctly ascertain its original purpose and determine its builders, whether those were Jedi, Sith, huts, uh, or otherwise. And you can also readily determine value of ancient art. Uh, So if you're just if you're exploring things like that you know this background could fit in well and and uh, maybe gain some value to that uh there is eight feats as the backgrounds have for you to choose from uh, one of investigator lore master perceptive survivalist crafter specialist linguist or dungeon delver so one of those you can choose along with this and then of course uh, as these have these have suggested uh, traits ideals bonds and flaws that go along with the archaeologist. so if you would like to be a Indiana Jones uh, type Jedi or similar, this would be a great background to check out. And with that, I think that wraps everything up for the front end on our announcements and whatnot. Uh, Tegan, we can get into our episode proper Starships of the Galaxy part two. So as we mentioned, we're gonna start this conversation, uh, you know, geared towards our fellow DJMs and talk about how to run Starships. Uh, I think, as I said, there's there's a lot of qualms about that because uh, it can be on the surface overwhelming, but once you get in, it's really not that bad. Tegan, you and I have learned that ourselves if we've gone into it, so go ahead and start us off with this conversation. What might be uh, the first things to consider to think of as as a DM goes to get ready to run a Starship encounter?
1: Definitely, and one of the biggest pieces, uh, and I came across this myself in uh, the Hunted campaign. Uh, if you're going to run starships, uh, either pre-build a ship yourself, uh, so you can kind of go out through and just design it and kind of give the party what you think may be useful for them or kind of what you'd want them to have for the campaign. Uh, that can definitely be a great way to do it, just so you have it ready, stat and good to go. Um, or uh, you can have like a one interested player kind of, cause usually the uh, starships, uh, not everybody maybe is interested in kind of diving in and going through and figuring out what mods work best or kind of which equipment may flow the best or have the best impact for the ship. Uh, some people, I mean, this just may not be their cup of tea, but if you do have somebody on the team that likes to tinker or is a good optimizer, uh, set them loose on it uh, and have them build the ship and just take a quick look at it just to make sure everything lines up. Uh, but it can be a good way to have the ship built and have everything ready um, without having to spend more time on yourself or turning it to the group as a whole. Cause uh, sometimes the group as a whole can be a little bit of a analysis by paralysis or nobody wanted to make the decision. Uh, so this way you can kind of have that one person do it. Hopefully they'll loop in the other team members and have them take a look too but uh that way you can have the ship built and ready for the the first session you're using uh the, the starship rules
0: yeah definitely i think you know I, I mean i i was a player in that campaign and absolutely experienced what you just mentioned tegan is because there were times where even when we got modifications to upgrade the ship and, and there's just there's a lot of options which is a good thing but you know there's that negative side of of you know overwhelming uh from the too many options. So. Coming in at least with a pre-build, I think, is is definitely the greatest piece of advice there, Uh, whether, as you said, you or somebody else does that, Um, and then, you know, down the road as the upgrades come, you know, I think then once the players maybe get into it, uh, if you start in with this good baseline and gain the interest of the entire group, then they'll maybe have more interest to to look up what those things are and come better prepared instead of, you know, flipping through all the pages of, of all the things, so
1: for sure. Uh, and on the same side, too, just make sure they have their, uh, their deployments and all that all figured out. Uh, and if you're playing in person, just make sure they have their sheet already on that. Or if they're playing online, uh, either set up a section and uh, whatever Tabletop, uh, you are using virtual tabletop or uh, just got to make sure they're good to go on that side and everything picked out because uh, it's almost uh, it's, l- it's a little bit lighter than making your own character sheet, but it's kind of near that level, and uh, it could be overwhelming to kind of do that while 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 everything's going on so just kind of make sure they're, they're ready to go before you kick it off.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good balance because really you could take Starships of the Galaxy and just play that as its own game, own campaign. It could be all, you know, Starship based, things like that, especially with the deployments. Um, so, you know, maybe that is a good thought, too, is if you really think you want to dive into this aspect of the game, you know, just set aside a few sessions that are going to concentrate on that and allow the players to to really get into their deployments and, and understand that and things and then down the road, you can bring it in and out of the, the normal campaign as needed. But um, I think that could be a struggle, too, is if you just try to slot it in, even a half session um, or one session randomly, it might not be enough time for those players to get a grasp of it because it's uh, is pretty extensive. So in a good way. Uh, but yeah, just maybe consider that. So Tegan, we've got our Starship built, uh, ready to go. Players are assigned to deployments. Encounters, that's that's what we're doing here, Um, you know, we have enemy ships or whatever. What's uh, what's a good way to start looking at an encounter uh, from a DM standpoint?
1: Definitely. And one of my biggest pieces with this too, and I I love building encounters, but for the starship side, uh, it's more of a a feel than a science. Uh, I know they're working to come up with a CR system for it. uh, So it'll be kind of a little more aligned with the land side of things. Uh, But for now, it's kind of more, it's a little bit more guesswork and just kind of taking a look at what your starship can do versus what the enemies you want to have. Uh, So my biggest tip with that is just keep track of action economy uh that's usually gonna be the biggest determination of kind of what's gonna be hard what's gonna be easy and what could kill the party unfairly uh so just make sure when you're building that out you take a look at the starships you're gonna have with you uh so the enemies uh their number of attacks uh they the damage they can do uh and then just kind of do a rough comparison of that to your party ship uh their shield points how quickly they regenerate and their whole points there too uh and it's not this is a non-exact science but if you take a look at those you'll have a good feel of what they can do and kind of what's going to be fair to the party uh and kind of give them that good level of challenge without you steamrolling them on accident and let them steamroll you as well uh, also keep track of the uh, the the number of attacks a player ship can do. Uh, so just mess one thing, just to kind of make sure you know what they can dish out as well as to, is just so they don't kind of quickly wrap up an encounter you hoped would last a little bit longer.
0: Yeah, lots of uh, managing that. It's very on the fly, as you, as you mentioned, uh, just because the you know balance. I'll use that term loosely, not that it's unbalanced, but that encounter design isn't real. The structure, that's the better word, structure isn't really there yet. Uh, so you just have to feel it out. And, uh, you know, that's something that just comes in because, you know, even in the land game uh, and ground game, you know, if you maybe over or underpowered a battle, you know, you have all the right in the world to adjust that on the fly and and just to make sure, of course, at the end of the day, that it's, it's a fun encounter and things like that. So... Uh, in in the starships you're going to be doing that probably a lot more uh, just you know if you need to throw in a new enemy ship that comes in for some reason or you know it it gets destroyed easier because things are hitting a little too heavy definitely be comfortable with doing that.
1: And the nice thing too with starships is you got the hyperspace out, uh, so nobody knows what's going to come out of hyperspace. So if you do have some ships show up, they just arrived from hyperspace. So it, it works on that side. It's easier than the ground game having to explain why these stormtroopers just automatically showed up randomly. So uh, it gives you a little bit of an out there, just to quickly tinker on the fly.
0: Absolutely. So, so those little points, those those initial uh, things to consider, Tegan, with that. I think next you'd get into a little bit more about talking about the enemy ships and things like that. What are your thoughts on, on building those and preparing that anything further?
1: Definitely. So I'm going to say two things on that side. One is so, so, they're still building out like the enemy style starship blocks uh so kind of similar to what you see like in scum and villainy or uh fisto's codex where you can kind of quickly pull a block and just throw it into an encounter they, they don't really have those as of yet uh but they do have uh, a good resource which is the uh the shipyard uh which you can find in the, the star wars 5e discord uh where they've kind of built out some of the Kind of iconic ships, uh, and giving you some like the suggestions for the stats and the different weapons and abilities. Uh, but that Excel sheet is over. No, it's, it's it's actually it's overwhelming. There's a lot on. Yeah, there. it is. It's overwhelming.
0: Yep. <laughs> I mean the the I think Drake and them they recognize that you know it's you know just something to just touch on that is I think it was a way to to easily duplicate the process you know they created the 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 sheet to calculate auto calculate and all that stuff the automation for building the ships and um you know yes it's it's it the functions are there but the presentation is is a challenge to get through that being said all the information is there and once you get to it you know then it helps so
1: for sure. It's all there. And what I usually do when I'm running it is just kind of go through and find the the core bullet points I need, like the HP, shields, attacks, saving throws, uh, and then either throw it into a GM binder, or if I'm using a tabletop for roll 20, just throw it into roll 20 just to make it easy. Uh, so I, that's one of those things I highly recommend, especially if you're playing in person or even if you're playing online, don't try to run it off that Excel sheet. You'll just get confused. Simplified however you do it in your notes or however you usually run a bad guy, just put it in that same format so you can just quickly run it and use it Uh, and other things I would mention too for that is like the because usually they they build them out like just like you'd see them and in like the the lore Uh, so there's a lot of cool features and a lot of cool abilities and things like that. Uh, but sometimes with having too many abilities for an uh, enemy that you're running can just slow the game down or kind of give you too much to think about. Uh, so I usually just look for a core thing that I want that ship to do and pull that out uh, and put it into the block and just keep it easy. Uh, that way you don't have kind of too many things you're looking at while you're trying to run the
0: encounter. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was going to touch on that, Tegan. I think that's kind of your... One of your philosophies you like to keep in mind even in the ground game especially you know uh as opposed to there's so many stat blocks out there that have just mile long features and abilities and things and that's so overwhelming and and you know i I think we've discussed this before where you've said all right this is what i want my enemy and in this case it's either a you know a sith or it could be an enemy attack ship this is kind of what i want them to do build the, the actions, the abilities around that, and then stick to that. You know, you don't need all these wild options.
1: For sure. It's one of the, the big things I've picked up because especially because slow combat can be one of the, the hard things for D&D. And as a DM, you want to pick out one of the faster moving pieces. So if you just know what each one does and you got to give them something simple, uh, simple but fun to do, uh, you can kind of keep everything moving and make sure you're not stressing yourself out with everything that can happen.
0: Absolutely. Yep. So... Uh, Anything else on encounter design in general that you would uh, make note on? Uh,
1: Those are the big pieces. Uh, Nothing really else. I'll just say it's going to take a while to get used to it. Hopefully, uh, as things develop, they'll have more and more kind of resources on that side with kind of more pre-built and the CR system. Uh, But, yeah, just kind of take it and take it as it goes, kind of get used to kind of what the ships and the PCs can do and what like, your enemies can do. And uh, even though the first few encounters are pretty easy for the players, that's definitely fine just to kind of get them into it and get you into it as well. Uh, and eventually, as you do it more and more, you'll just be more prepared and kind of know kind of what you can do and kind of how to break the system.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, be, and touching on that as well, think about what that encounter is not just it's not going to be just you know kind of chess two sides back and forth um you know create like uh maybe it's a you know trench run uh to to destroy the the death star or you have to you know run some cargo a blockade run tegan you've done blockade runs a few times have objectives have things in there maybe you just need to survive maybe you have to run through and survive and so it changes what the players need to do, the objectives, you know, okay, this is, we just need to survive. We need to be defensive or you are trying to take out an enemy ship. Like that's your target. You got to take somebody out, et cetera. Um, you know, keep those things in mind because that will, that will help a ton in, in making this, uh, making the starship encounters uh, more exciting. I think and I, that it really applies to the ground game too, but I think specific, specifically with the starships do that as well.
1: Hundred percent, yeah. Because starships can get boring if it's slugfest, especially because it's um. There's still a lot of options with starships, but there's a lot less player, not player options. There's still a lot of player options, but there's a lot less kind of customability, and their classes don't shine through as much. So giving them an objective is like kind of a good way to spice it up and keep it moving. And you should definitely do it for the ground game, but I almost feel like, yeah, like Todd said, it's essential for the the starship game.
0: Absolutely. So, and then uh, you know, just touching on that one more time. Uh, you know, just do it. Frequently use it frequently, Uh, you know, don't just throw it into a half session here and there, Uh, you know, maybe dedicate the time so that you yourself as a DM and the players uh, begin to grasp that so. Well, I think that covers kind of the initial running uh, elements Tegan. I think we could turn it into, you know, looking over some of the, the starships themselves, some of the features. We didn't really touch on this last time. And I think there's some things to keep in mind, uh, you know, as as you go, either as a DM or if you're a player doing this, building the ships, things to keep in mind. And then, um, you know, we'll probably wrap up with some of the customization options as well. I think that's going to be one of the big things that people, players and, and DMs really look into.
1: Definitely. Uh, And so starships, the one of the the things they kept consistent, there's still uh, the the six classes, I think, or yeah, six classes of ship. So you've got tiny, small, medium, uh, then you've got the large, huge, gargantuan. Uh, so we'll start off with the uh, the, the tiny ships. These are going to be typically droid ships or actually most exclusively droid ships. Uh, so kind of think like uh, the kind like, of uh, the, the Trade Federation style ships, uh, the Tri Fighters and things like that. Those small zippy ships that are controlled by droid brains. Uh Typically, so your players won't be in these type of ships. Uh, but I know my first campaign, I gave them a droid ship for the starship side to to be able to help out uh, in different battles. So they have a little bit more action economy. So that can be kind of a fun way to bring that in for your players, either they find or make one, and they have a, another ally with them uh, for the the starship battles. Uh, these ones, the tiny ships, uh, kind of going through their their makeup for it. Uh, they do have set ABI points to start. Uh, so, these guys are usually small and quick, uh, so they get a bonus to dexterity, a plus four to dexterity, so they're going to be zipping around uh, and a little bit harder to hit. Uh, on the flip side, though, they're usually kind of uh, pretty flimsily armored and not the best shields. so they get minus four to constitution. Uh, so, keep that in mind as you build, you're building. You're going to make want to make it as quick and hard to hit as you can and uh, just kind of hopefully dodge and weave so you don't get take a blast. Uh, similarly, along those lines... They just get a 1d4 hit die, so they're going to have smaller uh, shields and whole points, because I remember with uh, this updates, uh, the hit die determines both your shield and whole points for that. Uh, so just keep that in mind as you're building out uh, with the tiny ships don't have any roles, uh, so the, the other ships and will go into roles as we go into the, the small and medium classes, uh, they get different roles you can pick that will kind of go through their ABIs, as well as different features they gain throughout the tiers. Uh, But the tiny ship is just at that base tier for it. Uh, And they also get a proficiency in both dexterity and intelligence saving through as a tiny ship. Uh, So this one's, uh, so as I said, players probably won't be utilizing them as their PC, but it can be a good way to spice up encounters if you wanna give them a little extra resource there.
0: Yeah, both ways. Either if players need a resource or when you're building that encounter, you know, great little kind of swarm type enemy to come in and, and, and uh, you know, something easy that players can just kind of spray blaster fire at, things like that. Um, as you said, yeah. So the next two, small and medium, probably this is where the bulk of things are going to lie. Small is definitely going to be individual, um, you know, X-wings. Uh, I think and TIE fighters fall into this category. And then after that, mediums are going to be I would say most most campaigns are going to use utilize a medium Millennium Falcon, a a, a ship with a, a small crew, uh, party size, whatever like that. So, so you can tell us about the small and medium ships.
1: Definitely. So like uh, Todd mentioned, the smalls are going to be like your uh, TIE fighters, your X wings, your Y wings, all those. Um- this is a, what I've always wanted to do, like a little one shot or mini campaign, like a rogue squadron one. Uh, so as Todd mentioned, most times your, your group's going to be in a medium ship, but it could be fun, especially if everybody wants to be their own pilot to have a little rogue squadron feel with them all in their own small class ships and uh, kind of operating on their own on that side. Um, these ones are also going to have defined ABI for the ships. Uh, they're of similar to the tiny ships but a little bit more hardy uh so they get a plus two to dexterity a minus two to constitution so they're still quick uh, a little slower than the tinies but uh, have a little bit more armor and shielding to make up for it Uh, and that shows too with their uh, hit die so they get a 1d6 to their hole and shield points uh so just kind of give them a little bit more staying power hopefully uh both these ones they do get rolls that they can play Uh, So you guys have probably seen playing Rogue Squadron or watching the movies or reading the books. Uh, A lot of these small fighters, snub fighters can have their own different roles they play within a large starship engagement. Uh, So uh, if you wanted to be a bomber style ship, so like a Y-Wing or TIE Bomber or uh, B-Wing, whatever you may be flying, uh, you can choose the bomber classification uh, and that's going to give you another plus one to your wisdom uh, ABI. Um, or if you wanted to play, play something that's quick and fast uh, and is able to kind of quickly move in and out of dogfights, uh, like a uh, A-Wing or a TIE Interceptor, uh, you can pick that Interceptor role uh, and you'll get a plus one to Dexterity. Uh, scout ships, uh, so if you wanted to have something that's kind of, to be on the edges, it's probing and uh, kind of uh, scanning from afar, uh, like a Thai scout ship, the Thai ones always make it easy because they have pretty much similar names on that side, uh, and you get a plus one to intelligence for your ship as well. Uh, or if you want something that's kind of just, just interfering with transmissions or things like that and it's kind of using a little bit of a disruptor ship, uh, you can pick a scrambler uh, and you get a plus one to charisma. Uh, or if uh, you wanted to have a more shuttle style ship, so if you wanted to have like a Lambda class shuttle, uh, you could do the shuttle roll and get a plus one to Constitution. Uh, and then the, the last one is Strike Fighter. This is going to be kind of your typical TIE ship or your typical X-Wing. Uh, you can pick those ones and they get a plus one to Strength. Uh, and then uh, for the saving throws, uh, they get both Strength and Dexterity uh, as a, a small fighter.
0: Awesome. Yeah. The roles are so cool. I think I just, as as we're having this discussion, I'm thinking of uh, of squadrons that, you know, in the video game and, and just thinking about how cool that would be, as you mentioned, to, you know, to have a little rogue squadron uh, one shot or whatever. So uh, if anyone out there is doing that, uh, let us know how that goes, because I think that would be an absolute blast.
1: For sure. I definitely think it would be a fun one on that side. Uh, For most ships, or for most groups, uh, though, all the groups I've run uh, and most of the ones I've seen played, uh, you're usually going to have one big medium ship for the group. Uh, Nice thing with the medium ships, so think of uh, the medium ships, kind of think like the Millennium Falcon uh, or the Ebon Hawk uh, for the Kodor players and uh, for SWOTOR, all those ships that you get for your crew. Uh, These are going to be kind of those medium ships, so big enough to live in, uh, but also big enough to fit the crew and have um, each person kind of fulfilling their own role on the ship. Uh, with this, too, the nice and medium is the most customizable of the bunch. Uh, you're able to go through and pick your own ABI, uh, so it's not assigned, so you'll be able to go through and kind of pick out what you think will benefit uh, the group or the benefit the ship. Um, with the, the hit die, you're going to be a little bit more substantial. You get that 1d8 hit die, uh, so hopefully uh, it give you a little bit more staying power for your shields and your hull, uh, but you'll also get to go through it and pick your uh, rolls, uh, so uh, kind of go through similar, uh, each of them have a different bonus to your, one of the ABIs. Uh, like if you wanted a ship like uh, the Millennium Falcon, uh, that'd probably be more of a freighter style ship. So you get a plus one to constitution. Uh, they also have a yacht style. So if you wanted to go like uh, Lando's Lady Luck from Legends, I'm not sure if they brought that back to Canon yet, uh, you can go with the yacht and get a plus one to charisma. Uh, or if you wanted a more military style uh, ship, uh, what's a good one for that? Uh, Blank on a good military style ship, but for a missile boat, uh, you can go for the missile boat and their gunboat and get either a plus one to strength or a plus one to wisdom, uh, depending on which one you go with. Uh, so, just a lot of customization that you can go through with those. And, the, and as I mentioned before, with the small ones, as you go up in tiers, uh, those different roles get different features and different things they can bring in as well. Uh, so, it just kind of allows you to go through and just really customize it out for what the players envision their ship doing in the galaxy. Uh, and kind of along those lines too, you get to pick your saving throws. So you get uh, your choice of two saving throws. So it can be any of the, the core ABI stats.
0: Awesome. Yeah. The medium, you know, is probably going to be the most common used as we've said a couple times, and, and it offers a lot of that great flexibility. Before we get into the large and larger sizes than that too, too, you're going to want to touch on a point you said about the tiers. Um, I remember if we touched on this in the other episode, but Would you have a suggestion for where to start a ship off tier wise?
1: definitely so i would usually start off tier one for the ships uh so unless they, uh for some reason we're able to get lucky and either find or steal a a nicer ship um i would usually do tier one tier two actually tier two is not bad to start at two because it gives you the role specialization uh so either tier one or two because tier two gives you more options as well uh but if you're doing a brand new group for it too it could be easier just to start at tier one so they can see how everything is set up and how everything works on that side uh and then you can kind of move move into tier two. Um, one thing to keep in mind though with the the tiers uh, is it's pretty expensive to move between the tiers Um, so I usually would recommend and this is how I've always done it but I know there's probably other ways you can do it for going through it as well Uh, but if you do move up in tier just kind of giving it away as a a quest reward item so if they do something with their ship and help out the rebel alliance with the mission they needed uh, the rebels will bump up their ship and kind of give them some cool extra features for it uh, versus them having to shell out the amount of credits will take to to go from there
0: yeah definitely uh, a bit of a barrier there in that regard so Uh, all right so there's three more sizes these ones you know might not really see a ton of play on the player side of things I would expect Tegan Um, you know more probably on the you know enemy side of of the table so tell us about the last three real quick uh, size options that are out there
1: definitely. So we've got uh, the large ship, uh, which is be kind of a think like uh, the Corillian Corvettes. Uh, so uh, kind of the, the ship you see flying in with Leia and A New Hope, the Tantive Four, that'd be a large ship, the uh, Corillian Corvette. Uh, they're, they're, they're big ships, comparatively, but they're, they're smaller. They're kind of built either for um, agileness on the battlefield. A lot, you see a lot of like the uh, like the, the, the smaller Imperial ships, like outside of the Star Destroyers, kind of fit into this category. They usually have a either a specific function or uh, kind of specific role. In combat, and they're usually a little bit more maneuverable, and uh, they kind of just designed uh, to be good support ships uh, in large-scale combat. Uh, these are good ones to set up your PCs to fight against, too, because while they're they're bigger than the PCs and have some cool features that go along with that, uh, they're not they're not insurmountable for a medium ship or a group of small ships to be able to take down.
0: Uh, Tegan, cut in here real quick on the with the large-sized ship. Uh, As we said, most people are probably going to be in that medium ship uh, that's going to be a party size crew, but large and and bigger, uh, large and larger size, uh, they do require a minimum crew size, uh, seeing that the large requires 200 people. So that's obviously going to be a factor there as well uh, in the use of them
1: for sure. Uh, so if you're having your players come up against them, make sure it's a faction that would make sense to have 200 crew people or be able to field a ship that can crew 200 people. So you wouldn't want the, the local roughing gang having one, but uh, the Imperials, the Huts, uh, anybody that has deep enough pockets to field that would make sense. Uh, and kind of on the same side for the players, I know every player is going to want a bigger and bigger ship. Uh, so just make sure it makes sense to the story that they're going to be able to find 200 people or 200 droids or whatever to follow along with with them and be able to crew a bigger ship in case they do get one late game
0: yeah yeah and i think there's some further rules on that on how to you know you know, basically pay for that and, and what all that entails so certainly if you know if you wanted to go that route it's definitely doable but just something to keep in mind so uh anyway uh yeah continue on with uh you know any other features on the large or the other ships as well
1: that's a big thing with the, the, the large ships and there's definitely so there's kind of roles and different things like that for those ships, uh, but we wanted to focus more on the ones that will be kind of actually used at the table for the player side for this. Uh, for the DM, you can kind of go through and pick which of those large features you'd want to include on your ship. But as we said in, before on in designing encounters, just make sure not to make it too complicated on that side for you. So pick some of the ones you think will come in handy, but don't stress about including them all. Uh, Moving from the large ship, uh, we've got the, the huge style. Uh, so, this is going to be kind of think your average Star Destroyers, uh, the Moncal cruisers. Uh, just a lot of those big ships uh, designed to kind of be uh, to go bastions on themselves when they come into a battlefield. Uh, so, these ones are going to be great for kind of a if you're doing like a really big fleet battle you can bring these guys in or uh especially if you're trying to communicate to your players like this is probably a fight to run from uh bring in a star destroyer uh generally the the player ships if they're medium or smaller they're gonna either have a very tough time of it or just won't be able to to bring down uh one of these big guys uh, uh without some outside help so this could be a good way to set up a kind of a team up situation or just a situation where the players have to jump to hyperspace and survive until they get there. Uh, So definitely kind of a cool way to bring that in. And then the last style gargantuan, Uh, these are huge ships. These are, uh, these are the kind of the biggest capital ships you can kind of bring in on that side. Uh, So think super star destroyers like Vader's eclipse. Um, What's another good big ship up? There's other big ships you can think of too. Some of those uh, old Republic ships, uh, I think Nagasato's big uh, dreadnought as well. Uh, there's just other cool, these are kind of game changing ships that's going to take uh, a good fleet on its own just to kind of combat. Uh, so these could be kind of a great way to set up a cool another fling encounter, or even just kind of a encounter where players have to get creative on how they want to take that ship down. Uh, which going to be another kind of a slide you can use for space combat, either trying to lure it someplace like an asteroid field where that size is going to be used against it or just some, something that can spark a little bit of creativity as they're going through
0: absolutely uh, tegan where does the dust star fit in i'm sure people will wonder that i don't i think it's kind of its own category right outside of gargantuan
1: it is so they actually have a so variant under the starships tab is uh, the space stations, uh, so you can uh, build a space station. They've got different roles and different ways to develop those. Uh, so those things are going to be uh, depending huge. Like they're uh, they're going to be kind of a class of their own on that side. Uh, they have uh, different kind of allocations to their stats and DCs uh, just due to kind of how they're set up on that. Uh, and actually, they have a uh, role specializations for it too. So if you wanted a, a space station, your players can kind of go up easily against they've got a large class for it. Uh, they also have a huge class and then a gargantuan class for that space station. Uh, so if you're building the Death Star, I would put it in that gargantuan class. Uh, and it gives you some cool features and roles you can kind of roll into it on that side too.
0: Awesome, yeah definitely uh, something to keep in mind, you know there's going to be plenty of people out there wondering so uh, check that out, that variant out for that aspect. So those are the basics on the starships, uh, the roles as we mentioned, their abilities, things like that. Uh, Last thing to touch on here today I think is uh, some of the customization options. This is going to be probably one of the things that a lot of people will spend time on. Uh, Basically these are You know, essentially like feats for the starships, uh, I would say, Uh, you know, so we have some styles and masteries, uh, as you do uh, in the ground game, fighting styles, and then ventures, which are going to be more uh, like the feats that you would get. Um, Tegan, what are some of the main points to to consider here
1: with these? Definitely. So... Going through, uh, and I'll start with the ventures first. Uh, this is a cool way to really kind of make your own, your, your deployment side of the PC, your own. And uh, and this can be a cool way too, to loop in some of your regular PC stats into the ship stats. Uh, Cause a lot of these ventures will be able to go through and allow you to either substitute your your stats for the ship stats or give a bonus to your stat or the ship stats for certain types of roles. Uh, so I really recommend looking through these and kind of going through and figuring out what's gonna fit your PC best. Best because uh, this is really how you tailor it to yourself. Uh, nice thing, too, is you get a level or venture each level or tier up or deployment rank up, I should say. Uh, so every time you're gaining a rank in deployment, you're going to get another venture you can go through and pick uh, and just really allow it to customize out your PC. Nice thing, too, is they have a lot of the ones that cor- cor- kind of correlate with the uh, regular ground classes, too. So if you're like a good, uh, good example, of that is the uh, explosive gambits or the, the flurry of fire one uh, for the monk, uh, you can go through and uh, pick this venture, and as long as you have at least two levels in a monk class, uh, immediately after you take the fire action, you can spend one of your monk focus points and make an additional attack as a bonus action uh, with a, a, a primary weapon style from the ship. So this is kind of a cool way to bring in some of your own class features and just really make it your own uh, as well as just really make sure you're excelling at a certain function on the ship. Yeah, is
0: I've, in, in past uh, Starship encounters and whatnot, I've had like, fighters and things like that. So many times, you know, the, the player says, okay, can I use extra attack or can I do this, You know, things like that. And so just keep that in mind because there's ways to allow that, um, but you have to look at these ventures and, and things like that. There is a little bit of a separation between the player, the PC, the ground PC's uh, features and abilities, um, but there are ways that they are brought together. So this is where that's going to happen in the ventures.
1: For sure. And I know you're gonna get a lot too, probably from your operative, uh, the rogue class, Uh, they do have sneak firing. So if they want to sneak attack in space, uh, they can pick that venture and get that in there. But outside of that, the other big customization option is they do. If you pick the gunner class or get a venture that a 4G one, you can pick the different gunner styles, and they have masteries as well. So similar to fighting styles and masteries, uh, a little bit more pared down for the starship side, though. There are three styles and three masteries. Uh, so you've got the payload style and mastery, which is going to uh, increase your uh, abilities for fighting with, uh, I believe the the primary weapons for that. Oh, sorry, the missiles and rockets for the payload. One. So if you use any of those tertiary or quaternary weapons, uh, you'll be able to get some additional features with that gunning style and mastery for it. Uh, they have the cannoneer, which is going to be the primary weapons or uh, laser cannons, uh, which will give you a bonus to your damage rolls as well as some other features with the mastery. Uh, and they've got the heavy gunner, uh, which is gonna be somebody that's working with those secondary weapons like your turbo lasers and rail guns. Uh, and they'll get a bonus uh, to their, their their attacks as well as some extra features with the mastery.
0: Awesome, yeah, I mean, you know there should be some familiarity with that with with the ground side of things with the fighter and and otherwise, but uh, you know definitely one thing to keep in mind is I think that's gonna be pilot and then gunner will be probably the two roles that people kind of seek out first is uh, I think just you know you're 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 having space combat, so that's gonna come into mind. so awesome. Uh, anything else in in kind of that uh, category of customization, Tegan?
1: Yeah, nothing big, but I recommend as either a player, even as the GM, uh, just take a look at that. There's some cool stuff there, and uh, it just really opens up some doors that would otherwise be closed.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So, Tegan, Starships as a whole, anything else that you would uh, mention on this conversation, even thinking back to the last episode as well?
1: Uh, No, biggest thing is I would just say, give it a try for your table. I know it can be like a lot of additional things to think about, uh, but especially if you have everything kind of follow some of the the tips and have everything kind of built out and ready, uh, it can be a fun way just to bring another kind of one of the core aspects of Star Wars to the table and and have a different style of fun with it too.
0: Absolutely. I I will fully admit that I was one of those, a little stubborn to jump into this, to this, of the system because it did seem overwhelming but once you know we kind of dove into it uh, i saw that there's definitely a a lot of fun to be had with that so i think the big things as a dm come ready with the ship for the players and as long as you get some of that uh work out of the way it's it's a bit you know more smooth sailing to get in and you'll have fun with it so with that, uh, that wraps up our, our conversation with Starships. Uh, between last episode and this one, we hope that we've prepared you enough to go in and, and create some amazing space uh, encounters and, and adventures. We'd love to hear about those, so be sure to let us know either on, you know, in, in the Dungeon Jedi Master Discord or on uh, Reddit, uh, Twitter, et cetera. Let us know what you guys are up to in that regard. Uh, Wrapping up here, uh, if you haven't yet, make sure you go listen to Scattered Choices Episode 3, the latest episode for Dungeon Jedi Masters Theater, which was out last Thursday. Uh, We have uh, three more episodes of that every other week on Thursdays. so uh, that's been such a fun uh, fun podcast to put together, so let us know what you think of that. Uh, The Hunted Finale, if you did not catch that, that was was a lot of fun. Uh, The VOD should be up on YouTube here soon, uh, so you can... If you need to rewatch or watch that entire campaign, you can check that out on our Dungeon Jedi Masters YouTube uh, blast there. And uh, Living Force, my uh, campaign on Sundays is coming to an end as well. Uh, the finale will be the 19th of December here, so that one is wrapping up as well. And as we kind of touched at the beginning, Tegan, you know all our campaigns are ending, and it's all about uh, what's coming what's coming in the next year. And along those lines, our next episode will be a wrap-up, 2021 wrap-up, and then we'll probably try and touch on a few things we're gonna plan for the next year.
1: For sure, got a lot coming next year too, so it'll be kind of fun to see how both the system evolves and kind of uh, everything that DGMs has to offer.
0: Absolutely, it's been a blast, and uh, we will will touch on that next time. Uh, But for now, we appreciate so very much all of our listeners, followers, subscribers, Patreons, just such a blast to put this content together and and see that what it brings to your own table uh, when you share that as well so with that we'll see you next time may the force be with you
1: may the force be with you